Genesis chapter 16 this morning. Genesis chapter 16, and begin reading from verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be here, uh, free from persecution, Lord, and be able to gather around your word. And Lord, we pray that this morning you would uh, teach us, instruct us through your word. May we come with our hearts ready to receive your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit. You would give me the wisdom and guidance that only you can give. It will be your words, it will be your thoughts this morning. And that, Lord, you would uh, receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> now, chapter 16 begins, <coughs> Abraham now is 85 years old. Okay, he's, he's getting up there now. He's, he first departed, if you remember, from Haram when he was 75 years old. That was back in chapter 12, okay, when he left Haran. Of course, before that he was in Ur, okay, but he'd gone up to Haran. He left Haran when he was 75 years old, and now we find it's 10 years later, okay. Uh, verse <coughs> 3 there it says, And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. And so he's been dwelling in the land now for 10 years, and so he's 85 years old now. And in these 10 years... You know, of course, Abraham and Sarah, they've been learning some lessons concerning faith, haven't they? And we've sort of seen them over the, the f- last few chapters, you know, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15. We've seen <coughs> Abraham's faith. We've seen it tested. We've seen him growing in his faith in the Lord. And as we arrive in chapter 16, the Lord is still teaching his servant, still teaching his servants, Abraham and Sarah. And in particular, he's teaching them the truth that faith means being patient. Faith means waiting upon the Lord. Now, we've talked about many times, but God had promised them a son, an heir, a child. And as yet, they're still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. They're still waiting. For 10 years, they've been in the land, and they're still waiting for this promise to come to pass. And indeed, God has given them no indication as to exactly when this promise will be fulfilled. He's just told them it will happen. He hasn't told them a time frame. And so this has been a period of waiting for them, you know, waiting patiently upon the Lord for his timing for all of this to occur, for all of this to take place. And, you know, Abraham and Sarah, like many of us, struggle to wait. You know, waiting is something we struggle to do, isn't it? Waiting upon the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, it tells us that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. It's through faith and patience. And that's what Abraham and Sarah had to learn, faith and patience. They go together, waiting upon the Lord to inherit the promises. 
You know, God had a perfect timetable for all that he wanted to do in their lives and his timetable was running perfectly on course. It wasn't running slow or fast. It was on time. And God knew what he was doing. And it wasn't yet time for his promise to be fulfilled. You know, even though these 10 years had gone by, the Lord hadn't been silent on the promise either, had he? It's not as if he'd given them the, the, the promise back there in Ur and then in Haran of, of a seed, of, a, of an heir. It's not as if he'd given them the promise and then remained silent on it and said nothing in the meantime. The Lord had continually reassured them, hadn't he? Con- continually given them assurance that this promise would still come to pass. And most recently in chapter 15, the Lord had assured Abraham of the fact that he, sorry, that the heir would be his flesh and blood. Okay, that it would be his son. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 2, let's just go there. Chapter 15, verse 2, it says, And Abram said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And so God had given this very clear promise that the heir would be his flesh and blood because Abraham himself had started the question, or maybe it's supposed to be Eliezer, it's supposed to be someone who's born in my house. Maybe it's not going to be my flesh and blood, who inherits all this. And God had made it clear. It would be his flesh and blood. It would be his son. Now, God had made it clear that his delay was not a denial of his promise. And Abraham's response to all that, of course, in verse 6 there in chapter 15, was that he believed in the Lord. And it was counted him for righteousness, that wonderful verse. He believed God. He took God's word and he accepted it by faith. You know, here in chapter 16, what we find is that Abraham, now under the, the influence, if you like, of his wife Sarai, or Sarah, he races ahead of God. He tries to bring the promise uh, to pass in his own strength. He knows that God has said this is going to happen, and so they scheme and try and bring it to pass. They try and make God's will happen, make God's promise be fulfilled. And it results, of course, in conflict, as you expect it to. It results in conflict. Now, God had repeatedly told Abraham in the chapters before this, he told him to wait. He constantly assured him and said, I'm in control. It will come when, it, when it's time. But here we see him rush ahead of God and try to do things on his own, and we see the consequences when we try and do the same thing. We rush ahead of God and try and do things in our own strength. And so first of all here this morning, we see Sarah's proposal. We see Sarah's proposal. Look there and get in verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the, hearkened to the voice of Sarai. <clears throat> we see Sarah's proposal. You know, by this time, she herself is 75 years old. She was 10 years younger than Abraham. And so she's 75 as well. And she is well aware of the fact that she's past the age of having children. It's getting to the point where it's just not possible anymore. And knowing this fact, Sarah comes up with what she believes to be a 
good solution, a good plan, a good way to bring to pass God's will. God said this would happen. Well, perhaps this is the solution. This is the way to make it happen. And so she suggests to Abraham here that he take her servant Hagar as his second wife, which we just read there in verse 1 and 2. Now Hagar is said to be an Egyptian there in verse 1. It says, And Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. She's said to be an Egyptian. What that suggests to us is that she came to be with Abraham and Sarah during their time in Egypt. Okay, remember back there in chapter 12, they had headed down into Egypt because of the, the famine that was in the land of Canaan. And this is another occasion where they didn't seek God first. They made this decision on their own. They went down into Egypt. And of course, they ended up lying in Egypt, didn't they? They lied about their relationship. They said that Sarah was just Abraham's sister. They caused all sorts of problems. And in the end, they lost their testimony. And they had to flee from Egypt. But of course, while they were there, Pharaoh actually had given Abraham gifts. And amongst those gifts were servants. If you go back with me, chapter 12, Chapter 12, verse 16. It says, And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. It talks about maid servants here. And more than likely, Hagar is probably one of these servants that's given to Abraham and Sarah at this time while they're in Egypt. Okay, she's probably one of those servants and at the very least they probably acquired her while they were down there in Egypt. And it's this servant now that uh, Sarah suggests to Abraham that he take as his second wife. And Sarah's reasoning behind this whole suggestion is found for us in verse 2. It says, And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And so we see her reasoning here behind this proposal. And her reasoning, if you, you notice, begins with the Lord, doesn't it? Okay, she begins by addressing the Lord. She reasons that it's God who restrains her from bearing children. Okay, she says, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. And so she reasons, the Lord's the one who's closed up her womb. The Lord's the one who's stopping her from having children of her own. And so therefore, since God has done this, Perhaps that means that God has some other plan. This is her reasoning. Okay? This is her course of thinking here. Okay? God has done this to me. God's restrained me from bearing. So perhaps God doesn't mean for me to be the mother of this heir. You see, after all, God had promised very clearly to Abraham that the heir would be his flesh and blood. We just read that in chapter 15. But nowhere in the word of God do you find a very clear, specific declaration by God that Sarah must be the mother. Now, it's logical, and we understand that, don't we? Okay? But this is what's going through her mind. She thinks, well, Abraham's got assurance that he's the father, but perhaps I'm not meant to be the mother. And so she reasons that perhaps God means for her to accomplish this through another woman. And we read on there in verse 2, it says, <clears throat> Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And so Sarah reasoned that perhaps the way they were meant to have this heir, to have children, was essentially via a surrogate mother. Okay, that's essentially what she's proposing here. 
okay, that Hagar would be a surrogate for her. Okay? Now, according to the custom of the day, any children that were born to Hagar would actually be counted as Sarah's children. Okay? That's what's going on here. Okay? That was the custom of the day. Hagar's children would be accounted to Sarah. They would be her children. And that's what she's proposing here. But you notice that she says, it may be. She doesn't have any leading of God here, does she? Okay? She doesn't say, God has said, or perhaps God wants us to do this. Let's ask him. She just says, it may be. It's, she's reasoning on her own here. She's coming to this conclusion on her own. Perhaps this is what God wants us to do. The commentator gets writes this. He says, what Sarah had proposed was a very common practice in those days. Certain tablets containing marriage contracts discovered by archaeologists specify that a barren wife must provide a woman for her husband for the purpose of procreation. And see, that's what's happening here. She's looking at the other nations and the customs and perhaps the customs she knew back in Iran and back in Ur, and she's thinking, well, this is the custom. Let's follow that custom. I'll provide a woman for Abraham so that I can have children through her as a surrogate. You know, that's the immediate problem, isn't it? Straight away we see an immediate problem with that, don't we? She's following this suggestion here. This proposal is based upon the wisdom of the world, isn't it? Okay, it's based upon the pagan ideas and pagan practices. It's something that the nations around them were doing. You see, it was not a suggestion that came from seeking God. You know, just because something is deemed a legal practice or it's custom, something that everybody does, does not make it something that's acceptable for God's people. And that's the mistake here. She straight away just assumes, well, everyone does this, so we'll do it. There's no consultant of God. And it's following the practices of the, the heathen nations. You know, it's always a dangerous thing, isn't it, to reason and scheme on our own. It always is. Always a dangerous thing to start reasoning and scheming and planning on our own with our own wisdom, our own understanding. You know, we saw this back in chapter 12, didn't we? When they went down into Egypt, this is what they did. They followed their own reasoning. Okay? They, they thought this is the best thing to do, go down to Egypt to survive this famine. And then, of course, they schemed to deal with problems that they faced while they were there. And it led to more and more problems. But now we see Sarah scheming again, but this time she's scheming to try and accomplish God's will. So it's slightly different, isn't it? Okay, last time it was scheming to deal with problems. This time they're scheming to accomplish God's will. They know God wants them to have an heir, and so they're trying to accomplish God's will. They're trying to help God along, scheming to accomplish his will. You know, sadly here, Abraham, he listens to Sarah's reasoning, doesn't he? He listens to his wife listens to her proposal, her scheme. And at the end of verse 2 there we read, And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. He hearkens unto the voice of his wife. He listens to it. He acts upon this counsel. And indeed it seems to work, doesn't it? You know, this suggestion, this plan, it seems to work. Hagar does indeed conceive just as planned. Okay, verse 3. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And so the plan does seem to work, doesn't it? Hagar conceives exactly what they had planned to happen. You know, as we'll see, just because it seemed to work does not mean that God was blessing the plan. 
Okay, just because the plan seemed to to accomplish the right purpose, you know, she's pregnant. There's a seed coming. There's an heir. Seems to accomplish the purpose. It doesn't mean God's blessing the plan. You see, this was all done out of impatience, wasn't it? That's where it was all born out of. All born out of impatience, and it was done according to human reasoning, according to human wisdom. It was fleshly. It was born out of a lack of faith, and therefore it was nothing but sin. You know, in New Testament, Romans 14, verse 23 says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This was sin. They were not acting in faith. They were acting out of impatience. They were acting according to fleshly wisdom. They were not walking in faith. And because it's sin, it's always going to carry consequences, isn't it? Always going to carry consequences. Sin always leads to conflict, always leads to consequences along the way. Now, as we look at this story here in chapter 16, we can't help but wonder how Abraham and Sarah got it so wrong. Well, at least I do. You know, we look at it and we think, how did they get it so wrong? How is it that they failed yet again to consult God on this matter before they acted upon it, before they followed this decision, this path? Now, how is it that they forgot to talk to the one who had called them out of the land of Ur? Yeah, the era of the Chaldees. You know, God had actually spoken to Abraham. How is it they forgot to talk to God about this? God had then preserved them on their journey across the desert from Haran, all the way across that desert, all the way down into the land of Canaan. God had rescued them when they'd schemed the God down into Egypt. God rescued them, brought them up out of Egypt safely. In the previous chapter, we've just seen God meet with Abraham and cut a covenant with him. Remember, he slaughtered the two the animals, sorry, and laid them in two lines on the ground. And God walked down the middle. God made a covenant with His servants, and indeed, God gave him the promise that he would be, that the heir would be his flesh and blood. How is it they fail here to stop and to think for a second and seek God's counsel? How is it that they do this? You know, we ask that question, but the reality is, we all do the same thing, don't we? We all do the exact same thing. We've seen God act in the past. We've seen him work. We've seen him overcome uh, problems and, and, and obstacles in our path. We've seen God do it, and yet we still act like Abraham and Sarah. We try and scheme and try and accomplish things on our own without seeking the Lord, without waiting upon him. We're no better. We're just like Abraham and Sarah, and we become impatient that things are not happening as quickly as we'd like. We know this is what God's will is, but there's this obstacle And we can see this easy path around, so we'll take that instead of waiting for the Lord to remove the obstacle. We we become impatient, don't we? We become impatient, and so we try, like Abraham and Sarah, to help God out. Well, help God. I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything. Of course, we need to be active in the Lord's will, don't we? We need to be working. But we need to be working with the Lord, not trying to help God out and do things in our own strength. You see, when we do that... We're walking according to our own wisdom. We're walking according to man's wisdom. And it will only ever end in failure. You know, time and time again, we see this throughout the word of God, don't we? We've seen it with Abraham and Sarah. We've seen them do this. Time and time again, we see this truth that we must patiently wait upon the Lord. Wait for his timing, for his leading. And here is 10 verse 36. It says, for ye have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promises. We have need of patience. 
After we've done the will of God, then we'll receive the promise. We've got to be patient and keep serving the Lord and wait upon Him for His timing. You know, we know it well, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 declares that we are not to lean unto our own understanding, our own wisdom, scheming, trying to overcome things, but instead in all our ways acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will tell us which path to take. And that's Abraham and Sarah's mistake here. They don't acknowledge God. They don't stop. They don't acknowledge God. They don't seek the Lord. They're impatient and they follow worldly, fleshly wisdom. And so secondly, now we see the consequences that come from this scheme, the consequences. Look at verse 4. It says, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Sarai, sorry, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dwelt, dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now, as we continue on in the passage now, we immediately see the results that come because of this scheme. Yes, Hagar conceived, as was planned. And seemingly, they're going to have an heir, as was planned. But it was not without consequences. You know, one commentator wrote this, he said, As soon as the end was obtained, the results, like a crop of nettles, began to appear in that home, which had been an abode of purity and bliss, but which was now destined to be the scene of discord. And that's the reality. As soon as the ends was accomplished, discord started to sprout, didn't it? All these nettles started to spring up in the home. Each party that's involved here is affected by this sin. And the unity of the home is soon destroyed. We see first of all here that Hagar, she becomes proud and arrogant. She becomes proud and arrogant. It says there in verse 4, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Once Hagar had conceived, she immediately began to despise Sarah. To despise her. Show her contempt. The idea of this is that Hagar becomes lifted up with pride. She's full of pride. She begins to see herself as being better than Sarah because she'd been able to conceive and Sarah couldn't. She was able to give Abraham what Sarah couldn't, so she sees herself as being better. She's full of pride and arrogance. Commentator Meyer writes, He's raised into a position of rivalry with Sarah and expectant of giving the long-desired son to Abraham Hagar despised her childless mistress and took no pains to conceal her contempt. She's full of contempt for Sarah. Now immediately with this we see the peace, the unity in the home is destroyed, isn't it? The unity in the marriage relationship is destroyed. You know, they forsook God's plan for marriage, one man for one woman for life. We saw that way back in Genesis chapter 2, didn't we? Adam and Eve. That's God's plan for the marriage relationship. They forsook that and immediately what happens? There's contention. There's strife, there's conflict, there's division. Hagar's full of pride, full of contempt for Sarah. Now, Hagar's behavior was predictable, wasn't it? Really. If, if Abraham had stopped and really thought about this, he would have seen that this was what was going to happen. It was the predictable results. 
But certainly if they consulted the Lord, this serious problem would, would have been avoided. You know, as a result of Hagar's pride and arrogance, we see that secondly, Sarah here becomes bitter and angry. She becomes bitter and angry. Look in verse 5. It says, And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Sarah here becomes bitter and angry. She can't stand the fact that Hagar is treating her like this, that Hagar is treating her with such contempt. Couldn't stand the fact that this servant girl, you know, it's her servant, this servant girl is now acting as if she's better than Sarah, than her. And so she becomes bitter, she becomes angry, but not just towards Hagar, she turns on her husband as well, turns on Abraham. We read here, it says, Sarah said unto Abraham, my wrong be upon thee. And at the end of the verse, she says, the Lord judge between me and thee. Essentially here, she points the finger at Abraham and declares it's all your fault. This is all your fault that this situation's happened. The words, my wrong be upon thee, essentially mean, may the wrong done to me be upon you. May the wrong done to me be upon you. She's pointing the finger at Abraham. She's blaming him for the whole situation. Instead of humbling herself and realizing her wrong, realizing her sin, that it was a sinful suggestion that had led to the problem in the first place, instead of humbling herself, what does she do? She becomes bitter and angry towards everyone else around her. The commentator Meyer writes this, he says, How true this is to human nature. We take one false step, unsanctioned by God, and when we begin to discover our mistake, we give way to outbursts of wounded pride. But instead of chiding ourselves, we turn on others whom we may have instigated to take the wrong course. And we bitterly reproach them for wrongs of which they at most were only instruments whilst we were the final cause. It's true, isn't it? It's human nature what Sarah does here. She's wounded. Her, her pride is wounded here. And what does she do? She turns on everyone and blames everybody else for the situation. She's full of bitterness, jealousy, wounded pride. And we see now the final result is Abraham neglects his responsibility. Abraham neglects his responsibility. Look in verse 6, it says, But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dwelt, sorry, dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now Hagar, she's full of pride and arrogance. Sarah, she's full of bitterness and ang- anger. And Abraham here neglects his responsibility. You know, with all this tension that's now created in the home, in, in, this, in this house because he's taken Hagar as his second wife, Abraham here fails to deal with the problem. Now, he's the head of the home, isn't he? Okay, that's, that's what God said, that Abraham is the head of the home. And so Abraham here should have taken the spiritual lead, shouldn't he? He should have taken the spiritual lead. He should have been the one leading his family in repentance leading his family back to a right relationship with God, making things right. He should have been seeking peace in the home. But instead, he makes the problem even worse. He makes the problem even worse as he fails to face his responsibility and instead he allows Sarah to treat Hagar however he pleases. However she pleases, sorry. Wisby writes this, he says, Abraham's solution was to give in to his wife and abdicate spiritual headship in the home. 
he should have had pity for a helpless servant who was pregnant, but he allowed Sarah to mistreat her instead. That's the reality here. He abdicates his spiritual responsibility as the head of the home. And the result is that Sarah here mistreats Hagar so badly that she flees from, from the home. She runs away. She can't stand it. She can't bear it anymore. That's what it says there at the end of verse 6. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. She runs away. She can't bear this situation anymore. She's sort of caught between Abraham and Sarah, and she can't bear it anymore. And so she flees. She runs away carrying Abraham's child. You know, all of these consequences came because of one decision, didn't it? Because of one decision made without seeking the Lord, a decision that was made in the flesh, a decision that was made according to worldly wisdom, not in faith. You know, this is what happens when we walk in the flesh. When we follow the wisdom of the world, we end up full of envy, jealousy, strife, and we end up warring with one another and it destroys relationships. James chapter 3 talks about this. Let's just go over there. James 3. <clears throat> talks about the worldly, worldly wisdom, which is fleshly. James 3. <clears throat> James chapter 3 and verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endowed with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make Peace. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? And they followed worldly, fleshly wisdom, and the result was conflict. The result was envy, was strife, was warring in the home. And the same is true for us. If we follow earthly, worldly wisdom, instead of seeking the Lord, the result will only ever be conflict. That's where it will end up, conflict in the home, conflict uh, in our marriage, conflict with our friends. It will destroy relationships. Conflict with the Lord. You see, it's far better for us to be patient, to humble ourselves, and to wait upon the Lord for his leading. And thirdly now this morning, we see that God intervenes. It's our final point. We see that God intervenes. Go back with me to chapter, 15, uh, chapter 16. Sorry. In verse 7. <clears throat> Chapter 16, verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. Hagar has fled from the situation that she found herself in. And, you know, in many ways, Hagar is perhaps least to blame for all of this, isn't she? You know, she's least to blame for this situation. You know, she had been an innocent servant when she had been given to Abraham as his wife. She didn't ask for this to happen. She hadn't sought after it. And so in a sense, she's, a, she's an innocent party who's been affected by all this, isn't she? Now, she sinned as well, of course, but you know what I'm saying. She's less to blame, if you like, than Abraham and Sarah. And so she's on the run now. She's run away from this terrible situation, and God in his grace, God in his mercy, meets with her and intervenes to bring her back. 
In verse 7 it says, <clears throat> The angel of the Lord found her. And you know, this is the very first time that we see this phrase, the angel of the Lord in the Word of God. The very first time that we see it. And as with other occasions in the Word of God, it's clear that this is the Lord Jesus Christ meeting with Hagar here. This is Christ pre-incarnate. And Hagar herself in verse 13 acknowledges that she met with God. Verse 13 it says, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. She understood that she'd met with God. It was God who had intervened here. It was God that came and saw her, that talked with her. The Lord Jesus Christ met with Hagar, this wounded, wounded soul. She's been hurt. She's struggling with all this. And the Lord in his grace and his mercy meets with her. And we see the Lord instructs her. And what does he tell her to do? He tells her to go home and to submit to Sarah's authority. Look there in verse 8. It says, And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her, under her hands. The Lord here tells her to return home and to submit. Submit to the authority of Sarah and Abraham. Now this is not an easy thing the Lord asks her to do here, is it? This is not an easy thing that God instructs her to do. You know, Sarah had treated her harshly. That's the reason she ran away, because of the way that Sarah was treating her. But God here tells her that she needs to humble herself and she needs to submit to Sarah. Why do you think God tells her to do that? Because remember, it was her pride and arrogance that sort of started the whole problem in the home, wasn't it? Okay, it was because she was full of pride and arrogance, contempt towards Sarah. And the Lord tells her here that you need to go back and humble yourself. You need to submit. You see, the first step to peace in the home was Hagar humbling herself, wasn't it? If she humbled herself, there would be a flow-on effect, wouldn't there? Okay, a flow-on effect in the home. And this was really the first step. You know, not only does the Lord instruct her to return, he also gives her a promise concerning the child that she would bear. Look there in verse 10. It says, and the, Lord, sorry, the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord hath heard thy affliction, and he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. The Lord gives her a promise here concerning this child. Now we can imagine that part of her fear of returning home, returning back to this situation, was that her child would be neglected. You know, that her child would be pushed to the side, that he would be perhaps even mistreated. But God here hears her affliction. He hears her affliction. He knows her concerns and he tells her that she will have a son. She'll call him Ishmael, which means God hears. And even though Ishmael was not the promised heir, God promises here to make of him a great nation still. That he would be the father of many people. That from him would come a great multitude. And in verse 12 we read, He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. The idea is that he would be perpetually in conflict with others. You know, it indicates that this child's life was not going to be an easy one. As the Lord tells it here. 
It's not going to be an easy one for him. But even still, God says he's going to bless him. God's going to sustain him. Sustain Ishmael. You know, Hagar's response to this meeting with the Lord and this promise from God is that she returns back home and she submits to Sarah. Verse 13, it says, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beelah Hiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Berid. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. She returns. She returns and she uh, is willing to submit, and there is a restoration, if you like, of peace in the home for a period of time. There is a restoration of peace. Morris writes this, he says, After this experience, Hagar did return to Hebron, to Abraham and Sarah, no doubt telling them about her experience with God. No doubt there was a time of repentance and thanksgiving on, behalf, on, sorry, on the part of all three of them. And they resolved to live together as amicably as the situation would permit and by God's help. That's what they do for the next few years. I think it's about 13 years they do live amicably. They live in peace. There is a restoration here in the home. You know, these consequences we've seen this morning, they were the immediate consequences, weren't they? You know, the pride of Hagar, the bitterness and contempt of, of, of Sarah, sorry, the bitterness and anger, and then Abraham neglecting his, his duty. They were the immediate consequences. And even though the, the peace in the home was now restored, this scheme still had lasting consequences. It had lasting consequences that would affect generations to come. You see, Ishmael did indeed become the father of a great nation. The Arab people come from Ishmael. And his descendants have been in perpetual conflict with their brethren, as the Lord said here, the Israelites, ever since. This conflict that we see still today taking place, the Arab-Israeli conflict, this conflict began here in Genesis chapter 16, with this decision to help God out. To help God accomplish his will instead of patiently waiting upon the Lord. You see, the point is that our sins, our decisions made in the flesh, made according to worldly wisdom, carry with them consequences. Consequences that will affect not only us, but they'll affect our families, they'll affect our marriage, they'll affect our friendships. And they may indeed have lasting consequences, these decisions we make. And this is why it's so important that we learn to be patient and wait upon the Lord instead of running ahead of Him. Now, Proverbs 3, verse 7 declares, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Fear the Lord. Don't be wise in our own eyes. Don't follow our wisdom. We need to fear the Lord and follow His wisdom. Now, when we follow our wisdom, the wisdom of the world, it will only ever lead to strife and conflict. Now, let's learn from the lesson of Abraham and Sarah. That's really why this passage is here, isn't it? To teach us a lesson. Let's learn the lesson. Let's be patient. Let's wait upon the Lord and his leading. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for these passages that you give to us, which give us an insight Lord, into the, the, uh, 
mind of Abraham and Sarah, and Lord, that teach us, uh, Lord, these important truths. Lord, and especially this morning about being patient, about waiting upon you, following your wisdom and not the, the fleshly wisdom of the world. Lord, may you work in each of our hearts. May you, uh, Lord, enable us uh, to follow your word and to follow your will. May you bless as we depart from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't a hymn this morning?